from Ron DeSantis is Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war in the suit, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically are like, yeah, we were wrong, hey, I'm so sorry, yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome into our Snap Hook listeners. What a week it's been as Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla here, ready to kind of take it all in with you. Yeah, Tim, it, it has been a week, I tell you what. And, and, you know, we always try to do something thematic, and so we're going to try, you know, we're, of course we're going to do our scubs of the uh, scub bags of the week at the end. Uh, we're also going to, you know, do our, our favorite tweet of the week, and hopefully everybody's going to see like a kernel of connection with all these things. At least I'm going to try to do that with my head. And it's, it's, when I say it's been a week, man, it's been, it's been, it, it, it's, it's been a crazy week. I mean, we've had we've had a bank collapse completely. Uh, we've got the World Baseball Classic going on all at the same time. We've got um, continuing, we'll call it stupidity that we can go to in our, our Twitter post of the week. Um, the scumbag category is is full. <laughs> and, you know, there's a waiting list to get on the, the list of scumbags this week, Scott. Yes, there is. And, and this is where, you know, I uh, I don't know if you saw, I started this. I started a Facebook fan page. Uh, and I'm going to try to get uh, Tim on as an administrator, but uh, I'm not as computer savvy as some of the younger folks. But I just want to invite everybody. Hey, if you have a scumbag, send us a line. You know, shoot us a tweet. You know, get on the fan page on Facebook. You know, if, if you have ideas about the show or if you want to sit there and say, hey, you know, uh, like some people have been messaging Tim saying, hey, your sound didn't you know, sound right this week. Or, you know, hey, could you talk about this? You know, that, that we want to hear from y'all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the reason we do this, right? You know, we at some point you and I looked at each other and said, hey, I, I think what we're talking about could could be a benefit to other people out there. And so, um you know, we do want to hear what people are thinking and, um, you know, especially not only on this side, the sports side too, right? Because this week we're um, really, really fortunate to have a couple of guests joining us uh, for our sports episode. And, and I know there's 
going to be some people who have some follow-up questions who are interested in what we're talking about. Um, so I, I encourage people to like and, and uh, become friends with us on Facebook uh, for that for that fan page. And, and yeah, like Scott said, interact. You know, I'll, I'm definitely I'll hop on there and um, we'll definitely, you know, be as active as we can and, and, and interact with you guys out there. So uh, just the first thought I think that we were going through this week and, and what we've tried to do here on this show, I think, is, is come up with more like thematic topics than your straight, you know, this is education week. This is infrastructure week, which, you know, the Trump administration was every week. Uh, or, you know, this is, you know, gun control week or this is, you know, banking week. Uh, we, we tried to come up with some more thematic ideas. And, and what struck me is we, we sometimes you see this happen. It, it is kind of a fascinating thing from a scientific point of view where you see diseases that we thought were eradicated that all of a sudden come back. So, like, I know when, when I was younger, uh, you know, we got the measles vaccine, for instance, when I was a baby. That was back in the seventies. I don't know if y'all if you had a measles vaccine when you were a baby. I feel like I did uh, because there's some, you know, like smallpox, for instance. Smallpox was officially eradicated, but when they say it's eradicated, it's because you know you don't see any cases for a while. But then all of a sudden, it's like you know, every once in a while, you hear like of the bubonic plague or polio or things that you know we thought were done come back and when they come back they're almost more difficult to deal with because you know the tools that we used we put away because we didn't need them anymore and so i was wondering you know could we you know throw out some ideas for political issues or or ideas that we thought were extinct that are no longer extinct and then we were having difficulty. And I know Tim has actually seen some things in science that he was going to bring up before with it. And just to give y'all maybe a little bit of uh, background into, you know, how our thinking is arriving around this. Right. And I think what you're, what you're describing too is it's kind of the negative side of it, right? Where you don't have the tools and we're not in a position to battle it. And I think, you know, the plague and, and, and things like that are great examples, right? Because how, how good was the medical science in, in the time that the plague was rampaging Europe? And the, and the answer is not good. So when you look at the good side of science, right, we have, um, it's just a fun story from this week. I was reading an article about the Al, uh, Aladabra rail, which is a flightless bird um, that went extinct. It lived only in this one small little island. And, you know, as as the island was accessed by um, predators, this flightless bird didn't do so well. Uh, but because the island is very much so secluded, um, this exact same bird reoccurred naturally in nature you know and it's because it's interesting that we're in a position with science where you can you can manufacture that bird reoccurring in a lab right we're we're in a position right now where uh scientists are trying to bring back the dodo bird and so i think to kind of relate that to what scott's talking about 
we live in a cyclical world where some of these issues naturally will arise again. And I think those are the ones that are, are, are not necessarily okay, but they're ones that you don't have to worry about how do we combat this. Because I don't think that there's a malicious intent behind that. There's no, there's no intent. It naturally occurred. The ones that are manufactured in the lab, the ones that are driven for a reason, the, the big old C word, communism, you know, stuff like that. Um, those are the ones that you really do need to be worried about because we haven't, you know, as you said, we lost, we don't have the same tools that we had years ago. Our political rhetoric is different. We live in a world where um, we don't have the same candidates, the same quality of candidates that we used to have years ago. And so uh, it is a different landscape. It's a, it's a scary thought process to think about as well. Yeah, I, I, you know, when you're talking about, you know, genetically engineering animals, my thought immediately goes to, you know, to Jurassic Park, which I'm sure, you know, everybody has seen the original Jurassic Park. And, 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 and just the concept was just so hilarious. And you had this guy, you had this video. So we took some dinosaur DNA. We combined it with frog DNA. We came up with the dinosaur. And you're like, come on. But, you know, Jeff Goldblum's character in that, has a great, a great speech. And it's one of those that's referenced a lot on YouTube because I mean, you can use it for so many purposes where he just basically said like you, you spent so much time, you didn't actually do any discovering yourself. You, you just, you know, you stood on the shoulders of other people. You said we can do it. And you never bothered to ask, should we do it? And so, you know, when you're talking about genetically engineering animals, that kind of flows us into that next discussion where we talk about ideas, where we bring ideas back. And the analogy I used, and this is a little bit more um, off color, we'll say, but I used with, with Tim earlier this week, says, imagine somebody coming into your home and they just, in the middle of your living room, out of nowhere, just pull down your pants and they take a crap on your floor. Are you immediately yelling at them? Or are you kind of pausing for a second and going like, what in the hell just happened? Because I don't know, and, and this is where I find myself, and I don't know, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll bring Tim back in here for a second, because I, there are so many times when people bring up arguments where it's like, I, I freeze. Because it's like, did you just argue that? No, I think you're absolutely right because sometimes the absurdity of what's being said takes you a moment to, to process mentally of like, did, did they really go there? Is that really is that really the argument that's being made right now? And, and in that moment, it, it looks like you are, I guess, afraid to debate or afraid to step up and have that conversation and when in actuality, and I think most people who are critical thinkers take a moment before they respond to something. They think about their thoughts. They they say, okay, this is clearly a crazy person who's coming up with this. How do I debate this? How do I go about this? Do I even bother having this discussion with this person? And I think that's something too, Scott. When When someone says something that outrageous, we immediately... Don't take them seriously. Cast them to the side. This person's a loon, and we kind of just move on. But now we're in a point where other people aren't moving on. We're in this, well, just hear them out world. Well, let them have their moment. If everybody thinks they're stupid, okay. And no one just goes, 
that's terrible, and, and, and walks away. They let them have this moment, and now there's enough of the population, even if it's a small half a percent of, of the United States population, half of 1% is still more than 100,000 people. That's a lot of people who believe some really weird, outrageous stuff. Right. Because um, I, I saw this in action once, and, and uh, John Stewart's new uh, program is called you know, The Problem with John Stewart. And so he had an episode where he was talking about uh, the problem with racism. And so, you know, the first you know, thing he decided to do is we're going to have a panel of just white people talking about racism, which I, you know, I, I thought seemed kind of weird. But he was also talking about what the problem was white people. So I guess you're going to do that. And, and then he had, you know, basically two panelists who agreed that, you know, racism is a really big thing and that, you know, systemic racism is, is a thing and we need to talk about it. And then you had a third person who disagreed with them and they completely shut him down in a way that almost was cringeworthy. And so there's a balance here. And, and so the problem is, is that when you, uh, when you drive things underground, you're not killing the idea. You're just driving it underground where people can have it amongst themselves. And this, you know, people talk about like locker room talk or, you know, they, we had different euphemisms or sayings for these things, but these ideas persist. They just don't persist in the public domain. And when they don't persist in the public domain, we don't develop cogent arguments against it. And so kind of like when Tim was talking about before, where we pause, well, sometimes I've paused like a whole day. Where it's like, you know, something will hit me the next day. This is what I should have told that guy. But like, guy's gone. You know, what am I going to do? And so that's kind of the problem when we drive these things underground. Is that we're not, they're not really dying. Like that bird, we're finding that bird again. The bird didn't, you know, maybe didn't really die. Or that disease wasn't completely eradicated. Obviously, if somebody else is getting it, and so that's that's kind of what I'm looking at. And, and uh, in a second here, we'll, we'll throw out some concrete examples for you guys so that, that y'all could get an idea. And I want to give one more hypothetical too, because I, when you were a kid and you're watching any of the Batman movies, right, or even the car, really the cartoons, the Bat Batman never just he never killed the Joker. He always put him in Arkham, did whatever he could. But lo and behold, five episodes later, the Joker's back and he's got some new weapon. He's got some new mode of, of destroying Batman. And, and the question you're watching every week, you're like, why doesn't he just kill this guy? As opposed to playing the same issue over and over again of putting him in Arkham, letting the Joker escape from Arkham, and then coming back five weeks later to attack Batman. And it's, it's the same thing because, I mean, I know we're dumb and get down here, but at the end of the day, we don't actually ever kill these issues. And so in what they do, like you said, they go back underground, but they get stronger. The, the people who were shot down don't like being shut down. So they find a better way to craft their argument. You know, if you even look at, at how fascism has grown in America from, or even, you know, how the KKK has taken hold in America from, you know, kind of what George Lincoln, George, George Lincoln Rockwell did to all the way to David Duke to where we are now. 
They've had to go underground a couple times, gather their troops, come back up. Okay, David Duke got 40% of the overall vote for a state, I mean, a, a Senate seat in Georgia. I mean, in uh, Louisiana. Okay, good. Not quite there. Let's go back underground. Let's get better. Okay, now here's Donald Trump. Boom. Now we've got a president of the United States who is an outward racist. At the end of the day, when these things happen, we don't stamp it out for good. We don't sit there and we don't ever hold the people accountable. You know, and I've to me, the, the one that comes to, to mind is the banking industry. We don't ever hold them accountable. If, if the people who caused the 2008 crisis went to jail, we wouldn't have this issue. We wouldn't be in the place that we're in today with another bank failing because a rich billionaire, Peter Thiel, who was a giant right wing craphead, founder of uh, many apps and programs, was part of the um, PayPal crew with Elon Musk, told everybody to pull their money out of this bank because it was failing. And now here the Republicans are griping at Biden for a bank that failed because a Republican donor told everybody to pull their money out of it because we don't ever hold these wealthy financial gurus accountable when they cause these problems and we let them screw up our entire economy again and again and again. And it's these issues that they go away for a while because the economy bounces back, things are doing better, housing prices get back to normal, and then boom, another problem. Same group of people doing the same group of things, and it just never changes, and it never truly goes away. They just get a little bit better at hiding it from us until it all blows up in their face. So the example I you know, give, and again, you know, to, to kind of extend the metaphor a bit, that was what the, you know, the original uh, Austin Powers movie was so brilliant that they were poking fun at the whole James Bond thing where it's like, you know, you get Scott Evil's like, I have a gun. I'll go get the gun. I'll shoot him. Bang. He'll be dead. He said, no, no, no. I'm putting him in this elaborate thing that he'll easily escape from. It'll be fine. It, yeah, it's, it's the same deal. The, the issue that I think really gets me that, in, that I, I find myself frozen is Russia. It's Russia. You know, when I was growing up, Russia was the enemy. I mean, we were, I, I grew up in the Cold War. And so, you know, I know, you know, that was, you know, I remember the Berlin Wall, you know, falling. I remember, you know, Ronald Reagan, you know, Mr. Gorbachev tearing down this wall. I remember all that stuff. And I remember the Republican Party being the party of, we really are against Russia. And we were anti-Russia. And what's funny is, is that, you know, you've seen that shift and you've seen, you know, the people and, and yeah, people on TV. And of course, you know, we're going to keep coming back to this guy later just as a teaser. But, you know, like Tucker Carlson just out and out favoring Russia in this conflict with Ukraine and them trying to sit there and sell the fact of, of uh, President Zelensky, who has Jewish ancestry calling him a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer. And you're, and you're sitting there watching this and you're like, who are they kidding? This is, I mean, it's not that they're trying to hide their love of Russia. I mean, they're coming out and they're just out now. We love Russia. And you're like, wait, wait, I, I, I mean, when I was a kid, we had expressions. My parents used to sit there and say, you know, that our cat or dog was eating 
their food like the Russians were coming down the freeway. I mean, that this was a saying. I mean, and all of a sudden, you know, you turn around. I know, you know, people who grew up in the Cold War, you know, we're a little bit different uh, than your generation necessarily. But still, I mean, it's been embedded into us that Russia is bad. Russia is the enemy. And China's kind of the same thing, you know. Uh, but all of a sudden, you know, we have people trying to convince us otherwise. And it's one of those ideas, it's like, I don't know even how to combat this because I thought this is obvious that this isn't the case. But whatever, you know, let them interfere with our elections. Let them, you know, do whatever they want, sure. But, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It, it really is. It's strange, too, because if as, as a, you're a Cold War guy, someone who grew up in that time period, I feel like every movie of the 80s, like some sort of Soviet spy or some Soviet was doing something. And, uh, you know, even when they, they brought Indiana Jones back later on, he was fighting the Soviets or Red Dawn. You've got the Soviets invading. You know, you know the Soviets were this this outward threat at all times. And you're right. It, it really is weird to see the Republicans uh just siding with them so often you know one of the other podcasts i i, I consume is, is called knowledge fight and it's a, a show where they um listen to alex jones's show and kind of break down the absurdities that he gets into on a daily basis and and kind of say like here's what alex is saying here's here's why he's contradicting himself because his worldview says this right and his his love of putin makes absolutely no sense and this is a guy who's, you know, as far right as they get in Alex Jones, helped plan January 6th, um, is more than a billion dollars against him in settlements for the Sandy Hook um, issues. And he loves Putin, absolutely loves Putin, outwardly, outwardly in favor of Putin. And, and it just doesn't make any sense to me that someone who is against the quote unquote globalists is in favor of a Russian dictator. It, it doesn't make any sense, but um, it, it really is where it's got the, the far right's love of Russia. Um, I was going to you know, throw out another issue here and I, and I, because I don't want to mention specific people because, you know, I could be stepping on uh, scumbag toes, so to speak. But uh, in Arkansas, this is another idea that, you know, kind of you know, kills me. So, you know, Tim has brought up before, and, I, and, and there's a common era in U.S. history we call the Progressive Era. And, and the Progressive Era occurred, you know, more or less the end of, maybe the end of the 19th century, but more the beginning of the 20th century, you know, uh, usually associated with Teddy Roosevelt. And this is when a lot of our labor laws were passed. You know, this is like when we start to have a 40-hour work week, or this is when we start to outlaw, you know, children working in factories. This is when, you know, we start to look at, you know, as, as those things evolve that, you know, 16 became the working age. And um, during the school year, students are not supposed to work beyond a certain time of night. You know, we know those rules are often broken, you know, particularly with, uh, you know, family-owned businesses. But the state of Arkansas has decided to go the other way. And they are eliminating a lot of the child labor laws that were decided 100 years ago. And this is precisely what I was thinking of when I was thinking of this whole idea of ideas that we thought were dead, but apparently not. 
And so, and, and so the impetus behind this is they want kids younger and younger to go work in the factories. I guess, you know, who needs, you know, 10 fingers and 10 toes? I guess, you know, that's kind of a luxury these days. You know, maybe you can lose a digit here and there, and, you know, crawling in the machinery and making sure it's working. But, um, you know, and who cares if you're too tired, you know, to do your homework and, and in school? I guess that doesn't really matter either. But, you know, this is something Arkansas has chosen to do, and, you know, these things pass. So now, to understand what Arkansas did is basically they sat there and said that a place of business does not have to verify your age in order to hire you. Well, if they don't have to verify your age, state doesn't have to do anything, you know, to ensure that, you know, they're being safe or or whatever. And, and so, you know, they've also proposed some other changes as well, you know, and, and these are things that we thought we had decided over a hundred years ago, but apparently we haven't. What well, made the progressive age so important, it was the way that the big businesses were broken up, right? You know, when you look at Roosevelt and, and Taft after him, they were they were the trust busters. They got rid of these giant oil trusts and and other railroad magnets that basically controlled almost the entire country, right? You had six or seven guys between, you know, Vanderbilt and uh, Carnegie and um, uh, the financial uh, – uh, Charles Swap, not Charles Swap, um, uh, Chase uh, – uh, Morgan, J.P. Morgan, right? So those three guys and, and a few others as well. But you had like seven, eight people who own a majority of the industries in the United States. And because of that, they were able to basically do whatever the hell they wanted. They could get whatever laws they wanted passed. If they did something that was against the law, they donated so much money that they could get away with anything. So we had poor food quality standards. You know, Teddy Roosevelt brings in the FDA to to go into factories and make sure that what we're eating is actually edible. But you needed to break up those trusts to make it so that these companies would be willing to let that happen, to let this stuff pass through Congress, to get enough Congress people to support you in those things. Um, we've allowed companies to, to get bought back up. We've allowed all the things that the progressive era broke up to come back into our society. So now you have a point where Business owns government. And what happens when you've got a bunch of a working class that bands together and says, hey, I'm not willing to do this job for that rate? You've got two options. You can either pay them more or you could do what Arkansas did and you could say, we'll let our kids do it. We'll let our kids flip your burgers at McDonald's. We'll let our kids run the factories. It doesn't matter that we're taking away their childhood. We're as you said, putting them at risk, maybe not letting them get a college education. We're going to teach our kids, and here's the new one, or it's coming back again, how to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Because that's that's what Republicans love right now, right? The idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And they think that going to school and, and getting an education, is that's the liberal thought process. You need to get in there, work hard, get promoted, make your way in life. And I guarantee you, Scott, that there are parents in Arkansas who, who think that they're doing what's best for their children by allowing them to enter the workforce younger. I guarantee it. But as a society, you're right. A hundred years ago, we decided you need a childhood up to a certain point. 
You need to be able to be a kid up to a certain point in life before you are put into the working world. You know, there are exceptions out there, right? If you want to go get a paper route, um, I think you can bag groceries at 15. But other than that, everyone pretty much has decided until you can get yourself to work on your own, until you don't need mommy and daddy to drop you off at work, which is 16, you're not working. Um, I, I don't I don't see this happening nationally, but I, I also see it backfiring. And in Arkansas, when when parents are <laughs> basically working two jobs, right? Like if you've got to get your kid to and from work on top of getting yourself to and from work, you've got to schedule two jobs in your life. So I don't understand how this passed. I don't see it lasting. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a grandstand for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. It's a chance for her to say, you know, we're not raising the minimum wage here. We're not, you know, you know we're pro-business. It's it's a way to try and get businesses to move to Arkansas, which it's it's a, it's grandstanding. It's it's talking head crap that stuff like that got her elected though, and um, it's it's not a good it's not a good look. I mean, but that's what's crazy to me, Scott. Like I feel like twenty years ago, some of the stuff that Texas or Florida or now Arkansas does, you'd be embarrassed if if your state was talked about nationally like that. And now it's, it's all oh, those, those libs, those, those libs are just, they don't know what they're talking about and you just move on. And it's, it's weird to me that there's no sense of guilt or remorse or embarrassment for any of the, the bad press that these people get for, for enacting laws like this. So the woke, uh, yeah, the woke, you know, whatever that means. Right. So just to break this down to a very basic level, right. So that people understand, you know, the, where this goes. And I, I, I'm going to mention a specific example because I think this is owned by a different group of people. So I think I'm okay. here. But you know, the Baskin Robbins is up by the Kroger. So that was my sister's very first job. Because what happened was, is that back in, in this back in the eighties, you could hire people at 14 or 15 and you did not have to pay the minimum wage because they were not 16. So you could afford to pay somebody who's uh, underage a lower wage. And what they would do was they would find a reason when you turn 16 that you shouldn't be working there anymore. And so they would just rotate the 14 and 15 year old kids because they could sh- they could save the end up being like something like ridiculous, like 50 cents an hour, because back in those days, I want to say minimum wage was like three fifty or $4 an hour. Cause this is back in the mid, you know, my sister would have been, this has been like 1984, you know, we're talking about back in those days, but this is just an example of, you know, you're basically allowing business to exploit kids. And, that, and that's exactly what happened back in the 1800s, you know, when the Industrial Revolution first came to America, is we're employees seven or eight-year-old kids because, you know, not only are they small enough to fit in the machines and fix the things, but they're kids. You have a little bit more authority over kids, and you can exploit kids where you can't necessarily exploit adults. And... Kind of, and, and to extend, you know, what's funny is you can, you know, draw a direct line to what Tim was talking about earlier when he's talking about the banking issues that we have today. 
you know, that's another thing that we had that we saw in the 1920s where we saw a huge wealth gap. And we had, you know, banks sitting there gambling on the, on the market. Uh, we had, you know, these, you know, Robert Barron's, you know, they're, they're buying stuff on margin. I mean, they're, they're borrowing, you know, paying for 90% of the stock with money they don't have. And they're just you know, thinking everything's going to go on up and up and up and up and up and up and all of a sudden it doesn't, right? So, sure, we, we passed some laws, you know, the FDIC, um, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, that will insure, insure your money up to a certain amount. And, you know, if you have a, a FDIC-affiliated um, bank, which, you know, virtually all of them are. But a lot of that stuff is we're, we're not, and it's like he, he, uh, Tim mentioned with 2008, stuff that just doesn't get cleaned up. And what are we seeing now when we look at our society is we're seeing that wealth gap approach levels pretty close to what it was in the 1920s right before the Great Depression. Now, are we worried? I mean, there's some people talking about it. Uh, and I know, you know, there's, you know, some economists that talk about it. But as a country, we don't talk about it. We just like, yeah, it's okay. You know, because as somebody mentioned, it's almost like, we're a country of people that have and then are soon to have. I mean, how many of our friends that they're saying, you know, when I win the lottery, I'm going to buy this cul-de-sac and put all my family in every house. And you're like, what are you winning the lottery, dude? It's like a one in 17 million chance. But people think that way. People think, you know, even though I know the, rig the game is rigged against me, that's going to be so great when I win. The biggest reason why America has, has so much issue getting tax reform through is because everybody thinks they're going to be rich one day. Instead of realizing the odds are you're not, like if you could make up to 150 grand a year, you'd be happy, right? But you're worried about Biden taxing people who make over $400,000 a year extra. What do you care? You make $30,000 a year. So it's, it's, you're right. The, the, the biggest, uh, you know, problem or the biggest roadblock in the growth of, of helping to take care of people in this country is, is people not realizing their actual social economic position and realizing they're not going to be rich. And the odds are you're not going to win the lottery. You're not going to make 10 times more than you do now, 10 years from now. It's not going to be the way it goes. And instead of wanting to make this better for everybody, you're worried about, oh, I, you know, the, the rich, the rich deserve their share. They worked hard like hell they did. Right, and, 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 and just with his his latest budget proposal, which was dead on arrival, I mean, when it reached Congress, I mean, of course it was. In his budget proposal, and, and the way he wanted to pay for things, he wanted to guarantee that if you had $100 million or more, $100 million or more, that you paid at least 25%. That That's what he proposed. I mean... Seemed pretty logical to me. I mean, I'm paying more than 25%. I know Tim's paying more than 25%. So, you know, doesn't it seem to be logical that, you know, somebody who has more than $100 million, but you have these people, you know, like, in what world are you going to get to that point? You know, and, and even if you did get to that point, paying 25%, okay, you have. $75 million now, you know, you, you still have more than enough to get by. 
I mean, that's where, you know, we talked about, you know, math with Marge, you know, a few episodes ago. A billion dollars is a thousand million. That means if you lived off of one million dollars a year, you could live an entire millennium and not spend every dollar. It's crazy. It it's 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 astonishing, Scott. It really is. The the way that people just don't understand they're standing in their own way. You're voting against your interest, but but that's been an issue, right? We had people who called FDR a socialist when the country needed help. We were in a place where we needed social programs. We needed the government to create jobs. He did exactly what was needed to get that country out of a Great Depression. And people were calling him a socialist, a socialist and trying to overthrow the government as he was continually being reelected by a majority of Americans. But there still is enough people out there with money to, to do whatever they want. And the more that we let these companies buy up issues, I mean, buy up other companies, own market share, own business verticals in a way that they do. I mean, you, I'm looking through some of the, the guys who had all the money in the 1920s going into it. You had Carnegie who made steel. You had uh, J.P. Morgan who was an investment banker. You had Charles Schwab who made uh, skyscraper and steel beams. Like these guys all did fine through it. There's still a J.P. Morgan bank. There's still a Charles Schwab bank. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt made out fine, but the railroads just aren't used the same way they, they were through technology. But none, Andrew Carnegie's still there. I mean, his money is at least, right? None of these guys lost anything during the Great Depression. or They didn't lose enough to really hurt them. And the odds are they grew their wealth because they were able to buy up properties and buy up businesses and buy up stocks that were at unbelievably low prices. And then when everything came back around, lo and behold, they've grown their wealth. And you see the same thing happening now. There's there's plenty of companies that when in 2008, when houses were foreclosed, pretty big rental companies come in, you buy them all. Now you've got houses to rent. You see that Zillow is, is working with um, a rental company to offload some of the houses that were bought until it's one rental company. So that way, they can save some of their hide, but now this one rental company owns one whole neighborhood. There's there's these monopolies that are coming back. These they're not trusts anymore because okay, that was illegal. We made trusts illegal. We'll find a different way to do it. And that's it gets back to your original point, Scott. If these things go underground, they recoup, they re they get stronger, they get they bring some better thinkers into the process, and then they come back out and, they, and it's a whole new rollout for the same thing all over again. I mean, it's, honestly, I, at times I feel like we're in the 80s again. You know, we're we're in that, or even early 90s, that post Reagan era, where you know we there's the hatred of communism. We're um, just we want government out of business. We want you know no um, no regulations, and then we complain when the things that we don't regulate go wrong, and it's just. Um, it makes no sense because the amount of people who say keep government out of business are the same people right now saying, oh, my God, I can't believe everybody. These are people's payroll that was lost in this bank. Well, don't start a run on a bank that's not federally insured or don't put your money in a bank that you knew ahead of time wasn't federally insured. But you don't get a chance to sit there and cry about it and try and bring up issues that aren't real issues. Uh, so let me tell you all uh, 
tell the, the listeners a little story. Um, see if Tim, uh, uh, before I, I go through this, do you know the story of Food Lion? Of who? I'm sorry. Food Lion. I don't think so. No. Okay. Uh, and then I'm gonna tell Tim this little story here too. So Food Lion was a grocery store. Um, so you know, once in a while you might see food towns uh, around here, but there there was a place called Food Lion, and you know, they had stores in Texas too. And so what ended up happening with Food Lion was, as everybody, I hope hope knows that you know a lot of the perishable foods we have actually perish, which means that. They need to be thrown out if you don't use them in time. So Food Lion, they had their meat, and their meat was starting to turn like some really bad colors, which, you know, normally most people would sit there and go, okay, it's time to throw the meat out, bring some new meat. Food Lion's like, no, that seems like such a waste of money. So what they decided to do is they decided to get out some bleach and wipe down the meat so that whatever color it was, was now a nice red color again. And so, you know, and so one of the employees chose to videotape them doing this. And so it made it to the news, made a huge expose. You know, this is what Food Lion's doing to their meat. Do you see any more Food Lions? Have you seen a Food Lion lately? No, and I've never even heard of them. Well, that would be why. <laughs> this happened back, I think, in the 90s, I think. Um, and but this is just one example of something that somebody just happened to videotape, and you know we found out about, you know after the fact. I mean, a lot of the stuff that was happening, like in the meatpacking plants at the beginning of the century, just happened to come about because Upton Sinclair chose to wrote about it in the jungle. A lot of these things you don't. I mean, there's a whole whole mythos around the fact that you're not supposed to know how a hot dog's made. I mean, they tell you that. They don't tell you, they tell you, you don't want to know how the sausage is made because there's lots of stuff that kind of, you know, probably goes into that. And that's why, you know, when I buy hot dogs, they're always all beef hot dogs because I, I don't want to touch the other stuff. There's things that happen in business like this. We just happen to get lucky and learn about food line. And luckily, I mean, I, I don't know that anybody died from that, but I can't imagine, you know, anybody feeling really good after eating bleached meat. I mean, you know, luckily, if you cook it long enough, I guess most of the stuff burns off. But, you know, you know dear God, somebody may have wanted, you know, their steak tartare. <laughs> that probably was a, you know, a horrible thing. I don't know. Um, so... Don't know yeah, what to tell you there. That, that's disgusting. That is absolutely. But you're right. We Business operates like this. And it has operated like this for a long time. It only comes out when we catch them. And I think we've gotten better at catching them. But what's crazy to me, Scott, is I, I don't think that place would be shut down today. I think maybe public reaction might be not to shop there anymore. But I guarantee you to be some some idiots on the internet standing up for food lion saying well if you guys shop there more if you shop here we wouldn't be having to deal with this i'll stand by food lion and yada yada that that for some reason there's always an immediate defense of these companies nowadays and it's i don't understand why people have become such fans of these companies you know i love heb 
I absolutely love the HEB. And I was so excited when they, they brought HEB up into uh, the Dallas area up here. And there are times, Scott, I will drive past six grocery stores to go to HEB because I love shopping there. If I found out they were doing something like that, I'm done. I'm never going back again. But the reason I go to HEB is I trust that they won't do stuff like that. But I guarantee you there would be people out there saying Food Lion deserves our they deserve a second chance. You know, they and it's just crazy to me that we give those people a voice, you know, and I and that's just what social media does. It allows that that other sideism. And really to me, that's what's that's what's fueled the comeback of these ideas, Scott, is the the other sideism or you know, hear them out or what about ism. We feel that everybody has an opinion that should be shared and we let them share it on social media and it and it circulates and it grows and you get enough people in there and then you get a group on social media where you share exchange ideas and now whoever the smartest one out of that group is put some stuff together now everybody's got some talking points and and that's how the the idea fester and grows and and really, social media is a big reason, Scott, when, when we look at how some of these ideas have made a comeback, some of these eradicated diseases, as we may, uh, they fester online and they fester in chat rooms and 4chan and threads that you and I just don't go into. We don't want to go into this area to see this stuff that's going on. But every now and then an Andrew Tate video leaks out. Every now and then, uh, you know, something Ben Shapiro says leaks out or or we get a uh, Dr. Um, uh, who's the idiot doctor from Canada um, who's on the all-meat diet? Uh, Either way. But every now and then, one of those guys has something leak out of that silo, that sphere that you and I choose not to go into because it's crazy. And we we get reminded there's a group of crazy that's hanging out over there. Ben, Jordan Peterson. Dr. Jordan yeah. Peterson was the name I was looking for. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Do you enjoy bluebell ice cream? Do I enjoy what? Bluebell ice cream. I I mean, if I'm gonna have ice cream, it's gonna be that or creamy creations for H U B. But yeah, I think this is a good example. So if, if anybody you know doesn't know the bluebell story, you know, a few years ago they they had some issues. Uh, Listeria. Yes. <laughs> we'll just yeah, we'll just say issues, and. You know, people not only defended Bluebell, but they got angry when Bluebell was taken off the shelf. And it's like, uh, guys, are killing people. Can we, you know, maybe allow them to fix the problem first? But, you know, people are loyal to Bluebell. And I, and I don't eat, uh, I've, I've said this before, but, you know, it kind of bears repeating. I, I was diagnosed with diabetes about four years ago. And so I don't eat ice cream nearly as often. Uh, yeah, I still eat it, you know, occasionally, but you know, I have to be careful. But you know, I'll still eat bluebell, but you know, normally they would go the way that food lion went, but they didn't. And and you know, to give you an idea, you know, talking about the hysteria, I don't know if you ever have seen the work of Brian Taylor Cohen. Um, Possibly. Yeah, he's one of these guys. He 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 kind of lives on YouTube where he does like these shorts. Um and so, but he did this one and that it was, you know, kind of hilarious. And it's a great, you know, allegory, I guess, of conservative America where he was talking about Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel has introduced a meatless sausage. 
as called impossible sausage. And because they want to be able to attract people that are, you know, maybe vegetarian or vegan, give them some options. They have not removed anything from their menu. They've added this to their menu. And they have people who are saying, well, I'll never go to Cracker Barrel ever, ever again, because they're, you know, offering this stuff. And it's like, you know, he said, this is such a perfect example you know, of what's going on with the you know, conservative America, because you have, you know, that your, your life is literally not being inconvenienced or changed in any way. We're just offering this something extra for people who might want it. But instead of just sitting there saying, you know what, I'm just not going to order the impossible sausage. I'll order my regular sausage. We say, how dare you? And so we all go crazy. It's the, the manufactured outrage. You're right. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's, but that is, it's all right wing politics, right? Instead of ignoring gay people getting married. We're going to rail against it instead of ignoring a trans person transitioning because it has nothing to do with you personally. Going to rail against it because, you know, you live in Idaho and you're worried about the border of Texas and Mexico, even though it has nothing to do with you. I mean, it, that is the outrage politics have become such a part of America at this point. Right. We feel that because we've got an iPhone and access to Facebook, Twitter, whatever, people want to know that I disagree that Cracker Barrel is bringing meatless sausage on the menu. My friends list needs to know that I am not okay. Cracker Barrel needs to know that I am not okay with this. Why? I don't know. But that's, you know, like I think at some point, you know, 100 years down the line or whatever it is when, when social media is done <laughs> doing its damage on our life, there's going to be a really interesting study done, Scott, on on the effects that it had, not only with productivity, but in and how to tear down society. Because there was a point, right, where there was this plateau of where it really was useful, and then it wasn't. And that's going to be a really interesting study because it's it's allowed, like we said, all these things to fester. It's allowed people to think that they're entitled to an opinion that they're really not. It's it's led to miseducation and misinformation. It's elevated poor ideas. And it's also helped you check in on that old girl you had a crush in in ninth grade, just in case you want a Facebook stalker. But other than that, you know, that's it. Yeah. I, I It kind of reminds me. I have a, a friend from college. Uh, I'm not going to say his name or give me out anything because, you know, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But he used to go on and he would say uh, the, the phrase he would use, he would ban stuff like he's boycotting stuff. Like when he first learned that uh, John Kerry married into the Heinz family, he was like, I'm banning Heinz ketchup. And so every time we'd go out to eat, I would just, I, I would, you know, tweak him cause I just love doing it. And I said, Hey, can you pass the Heinz Kerry? <laughs> he just, <laughs> he just go crazy. And then after about a week, he'd be using Heinz ketchup again. So, I mean, these things would never last. Um, and so, I, mean, I guess, you know, these other, you know, these other issues, the other issue that um, came to, you know, came to mind in terms of like uh, stuff that's, that's, that's dying 
So when you ask 100 typical Americans, 92% of the American people agree that we should have universal background checks on all gun purchases. This is something 92% of the country agrees on. Yet, we're not getting it. Why? See, this kind of goes back to the, the whole gaps episode that we did. Uh, please, if you have, if you're just uh, you know tuning into us this week for the first time, scroll through the back, you know, and, and listen to some of these old episodes because we kind of build on some of these ideas over time. But I mean, it's crazy that anybody would argue against this when you know it's just so basic. And and so when somebody sits there and they make this argument. You, you find yourself dumbfounded for a while. You're like, I don't even know how to respond to this stupidity. No, you're you're absolutely right. There's there's sometimes where you just, I'm done. I'm out. You know, like clearly you've, and I've gone back and forth with people on social media too, right? Where you feel like you've laid out some pretty clear stuff, made it evident as you can, link your sources, whatever. And here comes the one anecdote about their aunt who whatever. And at that point I'm out, right? Like there's, you're, you're not willing to engage in an honest discussion. You're not willing to play by, you know, what we would call the rules of debate or anything like that. I'm out, you know? And, and I think we need more of that. I think we need more people to just be out on some of these stupid ideas or stupid things that have come back. Um, the eradicated, uh, disease of thought, you know, if we want to say that, that, that we thought we got rid of these things and we need enough people to say exactly that. Hey, I'm done on this. I'm out like this. If, if enough American people reacted and said, the border is really not an issue for me, politicians would stop talking about it. But the reason it gets talked about every four years is because it, it raises numbers. Um, you know, if, if we, as a society, would, would not donate, would not react, would not tune in to candidates who are playing up issues of the past, who are dragging, dragging up old things that really don't matter today. And, and we could force them to talk about the issues that actually matter to us. But instead, we're just so reactionary. And if, you know, if Trump came to Texas and didn't talk about the border, what do you think his Republican base would do? They'd have a conniption. What if he literally came here and laid out, and it'll never happen because it's Trump, but he comes here and he lays out some sort of, well, let's even give it the other side. You know, if a Democrat comes to Texas and he doesn't go down to the border and he doesn't meet with border control, imagine how quickly the Republicans will hop on him and call him soft and say he's happy with illegals coming into the country and all the other stuff. When maybe this guy's just here talking about the issues that really matter to us. He's here to talk about health care. He's here to talk about, you know, drug you know, smart drug laws or, or ways to help keep people safe. Maybe not just lock people up. Maybe he's out there giving out fentanyl testing strips because, you know, these people are going to do drugs anyway. Let's make sure they're not going to kill them. And all of a sudden you're soft on crime. All of a sudden you don't care about flooding through the border. And it's if we would just tune out the bullshit, the crap, the extracurricular outrage politics and stop donating when people talk about this stuff stop electing people who just sit there and drive outrage and force candidates to actually come to the table with a plan with any kind of ideas then maybe the 2024 election wouldn't be biden and trump again maybe the democrats would actually have somebody that they could run that is worth a damn 
Maybe the Republicans could actually have someone that they could run that's that's worth the four years in office, but they don't. It's become outrage and reaction politics, and we have no ability to put a plan together. We just drag up stuff from the but and it's all over society, Scott. We had Top Gun Two come out this summer. We were all about bringing stuff back from the past, and I I just I don't know what it is about the year twenty twenty three, but we are incapable of original thought. I, I told the story before, but I think you know, I'll only extend it out. And basically, when I started my blog, uh, or uh, refocused my blog on politics, uh, because uh, you know, a friend I graduated from high school with, she was very concerned after you know the George Floyd incident that you know she would have to teach her son, who is about the same age as my daughter, uh, who's you know, sixteen and driving. Everybody, pray for me if you pray. Um, but how she would have to talk, you know, talk to him about how he interacts with the police, how to protect himself. And so one of our conservative classmates, now you remember this is clear, like we're talking about, right? Conservative classmates comes on and talks about, oh yeah, you know, it was, I remember how tough it was growing up. And so one of my friends said, you grew up down the street from me. We were in Brook Forest, dude. What are, you, what are you talking about? How tough everything was. Stop clowning. And that's kind of what it takes. As I, I think it takes, you know, you to sit there and go against you know, these people and just kind of point out, you know, how ridiculous they are. It's like, you know, and we'll dive into this when we um, get to our favorite, you know, spot of the week. But I remember talking to a colleague at school about Donald Trump. And he was prattling on about all, the, you know, He's such a great leader, and I'm like, "What are you looking at?" They said he, you know, he's he's like a cartoon character of a human being. I don't even know if he's human. I mean, he does not have one positive quality, and I dared him to, you know, to come up with one positive positive quality, and he couldn't do it. And and so you know, it's almost like you know these people are you know defending the indefensible, which you know again, I'm kind of getting into, you know, uh, our favorite spot of the week. So I'm going to kind of back off here for a second. But it, it's just, I think calling out people is what kind of what we need to do is when we sit there and say, you know, just stop. Stop. And that's what we should do. You're right. Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing else to, to say other than just they have to stop, right? It's just time to, it's just time to stop with it. But I think, Scott, it, it is time for your favorite segment of the week. I know you've been itching to get to it. You've teased it a couple times. You, you've got your, your crosshairs on, on somebody this week. I know you do. Who's your scumbag of the week this week, Scott? Uh, I'm going to start with a, a favorite of the show, Tucker Carlson. Okay, so why am I picking Tucker Carlson? So if anybody's been following uh, the news with, uh, with Fox News, uh, which, you know, I, I, I saw something interesting where um, they talked about the fact that, you know, if you're an ice cream and you don't use cream, that you're not allowed to spell out the word cream collect- correctly. You have to go like K-R-E-M-E or, you know, something along those lines. So can we get Fox News to change like news to maybe N-double-O-Z 
instead of N E W S, where you you know you can't spell. Got to throw a Z on the end. Got to have a hard Z on the end. Yeah, you, where you can't you know spell news correctly because you're not really news. So what what came out this week? Because as anybody knows, you know, um, Dominion has, has sued them uh, for well over a billion dollars, and so Discovery has just been just a huge treasure treasure trove of stuff. And so here's where we find out that Tucker Carlson in text messages actually talked about how much he hated Donald Trump. He hates Donald Trump. Now, what did he do on his show for well over four years? He questioned why we on the left are so deranged that we hate Donald Trump. And it's like, well, why did you hate Donald Trump, Tucker? And, and this is kind of what I'm talking about. You know, when I was talking about the whole thing of, of challenging people, what makes me mad about this, and this is what proves, I think we were, uh, I saw something on time travel, and for, I think, the first time, we can definitively say nobody has invented time travel. Because if they had, they would have come back in time and they would have prevented the last seven or eight years. They would have wiped it and, and done something else. But at, at any time, in 2015, the Republican Party could have said, no, you're, you're not our guy. You, you can't. We're not letting you. They could have at any point during the presidency, say, you know, when he was impeached twice, could have said, no, you're going to have to resign or we're going to have to, we're going to have to remove you from office. His cabinet, at any point, could have invoked the 25th Amendment and said, no, you're, you're, not mentally, you're not mentally fit to be president. You, you can't do this. We're going to go with Mike Pence. Would I have liked a Mike Pence presidency? No. But, you know, at least Mike Pence is sane. I mean, it, it just, it's just crazy to me. How, you know, and, and this is where, you know, so my, my hatred is for not only for Tucker Carlson, but it's for everybody in the Republican Party on Fox News, who propped this guy up, who knew and said they knew that he was an idiot, a buffoon, a, you know, an absolutely insane person, dangerous. They knew all of this. They knew all this every step of the way. And at no point did it dawn on them to say, like, you know, maybe the American people would benefit from knowing what I actually think. Nope, didn't do that. What did he do? Kept on telling the peddling the lie until we reached discovery. And is he going to say anything about it afterwards? No, he's not going to say anything. I mean, he could come on his show and he could apologize and he could say, like, I don't like Donald Trump. Here's why I don't like Donald Trump. He could say that now and it would prevent 2024 Trump, but they're not going to do that. They're not. I mean, and then, and you have all these you know these different courts. Maybe he gets indicted in the state of New York, maybe over the Stormy Daniels stuff. But I'm not holding my breath. It's like you know you're watching a baseball game and you're watching the center fielder, the shortstop, and the second baseman all converging on a short fly ball. They're all looking up at it and they're looking at each other. Who's going to catch it? And they just let it drop to the ground because nobody wants to be first. Nobody wants to be the person to sit there and say, you know what? 
jackass, you're not going to be involved in our politics anymore. We're going to put you in jail. We're going to put you in a padded room. We're going to put you on your own damn island somewhere. Nobody has the courage to do it. And that's why Tucker Carlson is my scumbag of the week. Scott, you can never go wrong with Tucker Carlson. I, I think uh, he's an eligible candidate every week. I think what he's doing with the January 6th footage is downright criminal. But you're right. You know, everything you said is absolutely right. And sadly, because Donald Trump is, is just ratings gold, they'll never say that stuff publicly. They may, and even if it comes out, he'll explain it as, you know, maybe I don't like him as a person, but he is the best politician for the country, yada, yada, yada. He'll find a way to talk himself out of it if he ever gets called on it. But the odds are no one's ever even going to call him on it because they're too scared to cross him because he's got this show that for some reason people watch. I don't know why. I don't get it. I, I can't imagine in what world that you, you find it necessary to watch Tucker Carlson every night. But for some reason, Way too many people do. Way, way, way too many people tune into this guy week in and week out for the fact that he is not only this week, but an all-time scumbag. Absolutely. Okay, Tim, I'm letting, letting you tee it up here. So just to kind of explain mine a little bit before I get into it, because this is kind of a multi-layered scumbag. Um, so for those of you who don't know or are kind of not sure what happened, uh, the Silicon Valley Bank collapsed uh, over the week. And so essentially, to, to kind of explain what happened early on in the pandemic, um, a lot of money coming in, a lot of companies being invested in, a lot of apps being invested in, and a lot of venture capitalists kept their money in the um, Silicon Valley Bank. So essentially, you were getting about $175 billion uh, that was in the bank from deposits uh, and from, from 2020 to 2021, they saw a pretty big inflow of deposits coming in because you had all these uh, new companies being invested in. So a lot of companies that were invested in were putting their money in um, Silicon Valley Bank. Also going back to 2018, Donald Trump loosened some regulations at the urging of SVB uh, to allow them to operate a little bit differently and invest more freely in some of these startup companies. Um, so now at this point, SVB's got a lot of excess cash on hand. They don't want to keep it all there at the bank. They invest in government-backed bonds. At the time, interest rates were very, very low. So they were getting like half a percent back on these bonds. But they were, and you know, they're not going to lose money on it, but that they're not going to gain very much money either. Well, as interest rates started to rise, those bonds are now not worthless, but they're a bad investment compared to what you could buy a bond for now, which is going to give you six, seven, eight percent interest rate. At the same time, because of that interest rate, they're not invest. Uh, venture capitalists aren't investing as much in new companies, and deposits are starting to dry up. The bank needs more cash on hand. So what do they do? They go to sell some of those bonds. But because the rates of bonds have gotten better since they bought them, they had to sell them for a loss. So essentially, they lost around $1.8 billion on $21 billion worth of bonds that they had. That news gets out. In that process, Peter Thiel... Uh, again, he founded LinkedIn, uh, was one of the um, PayPal boys, along with Elon Musk and, and several other venture capitalists. He finds out about this. And again, you founded LinkedIn. You're a pretty big person at that point. So when you put something like that out there, that this bank is going out, everybody get your money out now. What do you think is going to happen? 
So then there's a line around the door, there's a run on the bank, and the FDIC has to take over the bank, shut it down, and people are in, in a very bad situation. My scumbag of the week is Peter Thiel. He knew what he was doing. And now he's caused a run on a bank where not everybody there had, had an insured account. And the FDIC insures up to $250,000. So there's a chance not everybody gets made whole. I would love if everybody who acted negligently goes to jail. That'd be great. We obviously know from the 2008 crisis, that's not going to happen. I don't think you're going to see a big bailout from Biden the way you did in 2008, because, um, again, this isn't an FDIC insured bank. But Peter Thiel caused this. I mean, yes, the bank was doing poorly, but that's if you knew anything about finance, you could kind of very quickly understand what was going on and, and know that they just needed some cash on hand. But when you start having a run, and what I mean by run is everybody go, runs to the bank and starts taking their money out of the bank, that's not a good scenario because banks don't keep everybody's deposits in this in the, the vault at all times. They loan that money out to other people at an interest rate, and that's how they make money, and that's how they stay in business. But if they don't have money in the building when you come to get your money out, that's bad. But they're never going to have enough money to get everybody's money out at one time. So they're not banking on everybody coming at one time. I mean, it was like it was like watching Bailey Savings and Loan or whatever it was from It's a Wonderful Life where um, everybody was running trying to get money. But at the end of the day, it was it was a scumbag move for Peter Thiel to get on Twitter and to tweet out that um, the bank was going to lose everybody's deposits and to go get your money now. Because I think he knew what he was doing. I think he's creating an issue. He's a very avid donor for the far right, and he's the first one saying Biden should do more to help. Biden needs to get involved. He can't let this happen when he's the one who caused it in the first place. Yeah, and I think uh, in in a moment of honesty, I'm just saying like this, this one's kind of slipped through the cracks for me. Uh, I remember when you brought it up earlier in the the week, and I was like, "Eh, I don't know that I heard much about this. And, And I think that's one of the problems that we have in America is that you know we have so much you know stuff that's going on that you know depending on you know the individual bandwidth that we have we we can't catch everything and so that's where people you know we talked about the whole you know food line thing earlier that's you know people saw it on the news but if you don't see it on the news you know you don't watch the news and you you don't maybe don't get the newspaper Sometimes these stories kind of slip through, and and so that's it's hard, but that's exactly what happened in the 1920s. I mean, uh, you mentioned it's a wonderful life. I mean, it, it was you know so powerful because it was true. Everybody was going to the bank to get their money, and and I and, and watching people like my grandmother. My grandmother lived in a town of five thousand people. If you want to imagine this, she had her money in six different banks in a town of 5,000 people. Why? Because she grew up in the Great Depression. So she was deathly afraid. I mean, in the 20s, she would have been, she was a little girl. She was born in 1916. So, I mean, she would have been 13 years old when the stock market crashed. So she knew very well. I mean, we got told stories, you know, but, and I know, uh, my wife's uh, grandmother used to tell her story how they spilled, you know, a thing of beans and had to pick up every bean off the ground and put it back, you know, because they just didn't have these things. And that's what I'm kind of, that's what I'm talking about. 
is that when you get separated in time from these things happening, we forget. We don't think, you know, and so, you know, we don't have that experience, that collective experience of what happens when things go bad. You know, we think, ah, oh, the government just bail them out. It'll be fine. Ah, oh, General Motors, let's just give them money. You know, it'll be fine. And we don't, you know, we don't reckon with the collective damage that this causes because you know, this is just one bank after all. But how many people are affected by this and how many people are affected by, you know, the ripple effect that happens after the fact when the government has to come in and guarantee all these things? Yeah, this one's this one's not going to be as bad as, you know, say the Great Depression or even 2008. But there's going to be a lot of companies with a lot of employees that are going to be in a bad spot because they're not able to make payroll. There's going to be really there's going to be a lot of rich people, Scott, who lose some money over this. And let's hope that they don't come in and bail those people out because it really, for the most part, is a lot of wealthy venture capitalists who had their money in this bank. But as you and I both know, those are the people who have a lot of swing uh, in this day and age, as we discussed earlier in this episode. Those are the guys who are the movers and shakers. So that's what makes me the most nervous is I feel like there might have been some some deviousness behind this. And, and that's why, I mean, Peter Thiel is, is my scumbag of the week because this didn't need to happen. You know, if he just if he doesn't tweet that out, I don't think we're in a scenario where you have a run on that bank. And so it's it's it was a selfish decision that's going to jeopardize a lot of different people. Um, and it's weird you mentioned the having money at, at different banks. That really is such a, a, a Great Depression thing. I remember when my grandfather died, you know, it was he's got a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit more here. Or I, I don't think if, if you went to anybody my age specifically and, and asked where you bank, you'd get more than. You know, here's where I keep my my savings account. And here's where I have my credit card. You know, but I, but um, you know, I remember a time growing up where like even my mom had like two or three different banks. You know, this one had a savings account here, checking account there. You never want to keep all your money in the same place, and it's um, it's definitely uh, an interesting thought from that period for sure. Right. Um, and well, we do the same thing. I mean, we were members. Uh, we were members of two different credit unions. Uh, you know, we have you know, our own bank, and then we uh, we have uh, we have you know I don't know if we would call them a stockbroker, like a financial advisor. You know, where we have uh, some other stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know I sit there make fun of my grandmother, but you know we have money in four or five different places. So I guess that makes sense. But uh, I think you teased this last week, ironically. But uh, we want to get to our dumb tweet of the week, so. I'll I'll let you tee it up since you teased a little bit of it last week. Scott, I've got a good one this week, and it was it was in my scumbag category, but I I knew we had this dumb tweet of the week to work with, uh, and so I I felt maybe I could I could massage it a little bit and and categorize this in the dumb tweet because he revealed himself as a scumbag. Through the tweet, if that makes sense. So there is a uh, right-wing idiot reporter named Jesse Singal. Very anti-trans, very not a good guy, right? He he writes stories that are supposed to stoke the right wing. Um, and he did one on transgender um, transitions. And essentially, through the story that he posted on Twitter... 
he pointed out that his source was breaking every single patient hip every single patient's HIPAA violations by keeping a spreadsheet of whether they felt the transition was being rushed or not by the parents. So were the parents indoctrinating their kids into getting a transition? And now all of a sudden that lady's in some serious hot water for her HIPAA violations. <laughs> and Jesse has to tweet out on March 6th. I have a dumb question uh, for a genuine HIPAA expert. If anyone knows one or is one, it wouldn't mind shooting me an email. So he posts his story online. He outs his expert, gives he outs his source, gives the name, talks about her, and then says she was keeping a spreadsheet of people who came into the office and was using their personal information in this spreadsheet based on how the visit went of she felt that they were worthy of the transition or not, essentially. And I don't know how much you know about HIPAA violations, Scott, but that is a major yeah. one. That's a pretty yeah. major one. Yeah. Um, and so for me, Jesse Singal is my um, idiot tweet of the week just from, I mean, the, the, the lady who's keeping the spreadsheet is a scumbag and she was in my scumbag conversation, but Jesse outing his source on Twitter and not knowing he did it and couldn't figure out what was happening was absolutely phenomenal to watch in real time. Like that was a thread that was just mwah, chef's kiss. I guess the one I'm going with is you, know, you teased this story last week. So you teased the story that uh, Lauren Boebert at the tender age of 36 is going to be a grandma. Uh, and pro family, pro family, Laura Boebert. Well, we, we've always joked about this, you know, that uh, the joke is, you know, because we teach in Pasadena that um, if your grandkid presents you with your 30th birthday cake, then, you know, you might be from Pasadena because, um, you know, teenage pregnancy is a huge rampant thing uh, in Pasadena. So it, it's it, it kind of it, it's a cultural thing. And, and so Laura Bobert was born to a teenage mom. She became a teenage mom. And so now her 17-year-old is going to be a dad. She will not say how old his, I guess. I think she's years. like 14. I think she's no, like a 14-year-old. No, no, she she said it older than 14. Is, okay. Woo. Is, is also, so 15. Well, yeah. we uh, Anywhere between 15 and 18, I guess. You know, we'll, we'll throw it out there. Um. But, you know, the funny thing is that she is against sex education. And, and she's, you know, tweeted out, you know, many times before this. And, of course, she's against abortion. But she's pro-family, you know. And so here we go. Kind of the living embodied example of what happens when you don't have, I guess, good sex education. You don't have access to contraceptives. And, and so I would call her a scumbag, which, I, you know, I'm sure, you know, I, I'm sure she's been a scumbag before for us. I don't know. She's a contender every week. Her and Margie Tedder Green, you know, you could, you could nominate them literally every week. And, and Matt Gates, we could throw him into that discussion as well. I don't know that this makes her a scumbag. Um, at least not on the level that you, that you mentioned there with the HIPAA violation or with uh, Tucker Carlson, but it's definitely just hilarious on a, on a dark irony kind of level that, you know, she can't see the, the connection between let's not give our kids any information on sex and, Oh, 
oh my gosh, I'm going to be a grandma. I mean, I was barely a dad at 36. I couldn't imagine being a granddad. I, I just, I can't even imagine it now. But were you able to pose for a dope Christmas car holding an assault rifle at 17? Probably not, Scott. No, no, we did not have any any guns in the in the Barzilla home. That was, you know, I think I sent you out a tweet before where you know it gave all the uh, the statistics about you know what happens when you have a gun in the home, and uh, and it's you know funny thing is it's a story my dad told very early on. Uh, he showed me he he still has a BB that is kind of stuck in his hand. And he showed me this and he told me, because I remember, I think when I was a kid, I asked him, hey, can I get a BB gun? And he's, no. And he told me exactly why. And he said, you know, because. Did he say you'd shoot your eye out? He did not. Uh, I think there was, I think there's always a, uh, it's always a good fun until somebody's eye gets poked out. I think that's, that's a saying that's, that's in the home. But yeah, but we watch a Christmas story every year. So I know exactly, you know, the line you're referring to, but uh but basically, it was, yeah, it's just not safe. Uh, but she's more worried about you know, being a provocateur. And obviously, she's not worried about the safety of her kids because you know, her kid at you know, 17 you know, wouldn't be doing this stuff. And she certainly wouldn't be bragging about it at an event when she you know, announces to her crowd, I'm going to be a grandma. And it's like, at some certain point, shame has to kick in. You would think so. You would think some shame, but she has to own it. Like she put herself in a position where the rumors were out. They were leaking on on um, TikTok is where it leaked. And I think she had to get out in front of it in a position where she had to act like she was ecstatic. She's railed against abortion. So she can't she can't go take that kid to an abortion clinic and say, go get this done, because she's made it very clear that that's not an option. Um, and she's very you know as you said pro-family so she's kind of backed herself in her corner where she has to come out and say i'm going to be a grandma and i'm going to be taking care of this kid because that's the persona she created for herself right she created this monster she can live with it and that not to call the baby a monster i'm just saying in this situation she left herself no other choice but to get up on stage and act like she's happy to have a um a son that's both a senior in high school and an expected father this is where, you know, you need to get, you know, one of those bracelets for WWHWD. What would Herschel Walker do? Do the opposite. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, 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 but that's the, it, it, that's where, you know, if we want to tie this whole conversation that we've had tonight together, what ties it all together is that absence of shame. Because, you know, that's what causes people to come back with these arguments is that, we just don't have shame. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people, you know, even, you know, who have, you know, say racist thoughts. When we were growing up, you didn't mention them because it was shameful. And so, you know, you, it, it drove everything underground. You were private about it. That shame is gone. It's gone, folks. I think, I think as a society, every town should come together about once a month, maybe every other month. Everybody in town gathers. You get called on the stage. Somebody on stage reads off all the stupid things you've done for that week, stupid things you've done and said in that time period, and then everybody boos you. Everybody in the whole stadium boos you. So you feel a little bit of shame. 
and it's on to the next guy. And then he gets booed. So everybody gets just a public shaming twice a month, once a month, something like that, just to keep everybody in line, Scott. I think I think we could really get something moving with this idea if I could get you behind it. You know, yeah, we, we, I remember a comedian joking about, you know, saying we'd like to apologize uh, for Vanilla Ice on the behalf of all white people. Uh, he didn't mention anything about it at the meeting. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, you know, Canada, you know, Canada comes around and says, we've apologized for Brian Adams on, on many occasions, you know, we'll, we'll do so again. That, yeah, there's an idea there. Cause I, I, you know, there was actually a private school that honestly did this and I, I love it. On graduation day, they did every, they gave every kid a SWAT, you know, with a paddle. And what they said was, is because we know you did something that you never got caught for. And so there you go. There's your SWAT. Uh, yeah, I think that would be that would be neat. You know, public shaming. Let's bring it back. Hey, let's bring back the stocks. We can do this. Yeah. Hey, if it if it was a dumb enough offense, five hours in the stocks. You know, nothing. I don't want to hurt anybody. We'll have a chiropractor there for when you get out to give you a quick adjustment to fix the the damage that was done from sitting in that position for five hours. But yeah, you should feel. Hey, you said something really stupid on the golf course on Saturday. You got an hour. You got an hour coming up in the stocks. You know, something. Let's just hold society in check. Let's hold each other in check on the on the monthly public shaming. You get high school stadiums already there. You can fit everybody in there. We can do it in a couple sessions if we need to. If we can't fit them all in at once. But I, I don't know if Miss Seeger is still available. She did uh, my high school graduation. She was the fastest reader of names I've ever seen. But we can get her out there. Get people on stage, get them out quickly, and just a lot of booze, some tomato throwing. Uh, you're an oh, idiot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is perfect because, you know, every once in a while, you know, they advertise, you know, that you can re- uh, recycle your electronics, for instance. Which you, you know, hey, you've got some old tomatoes. you got some half-eaten boxes of vegetable fried rice, you know, that you want to throw away. Yeah, bring it along. Toss it. And, you know, perfect. maybe – Maybe we don't have to do everybody in town every month. You know, maybe like one month, it's like... Go by neighborhood. Hey, it's your time. Yeah, it's Oprah Quest. It's Oprah Quest Day. All right, come on. Here you go. (laughs) It's come on. Hey, you know, you don't go to Clear Lake High School, maybe Clearbrook High School. Maybe it's your turn. You know, come on. Come on. You're Friendswood. Come on over here. And I think Um, you could do like the guy who's reading names and and reading out the offenses. He's got to have an executioner style mask on because we don't want to know who that guy is. Because at some point he needs to take his shaming, too, when he lives in his neighborhood that comes through. Yeah, you have to give him you have to find some way of technology to to muffle the voice, maybe to where it gives. Hey, that sounds like Larry. Batman voice. (laughs) And, you know, give it one of those. Hey, it sounds like Larry. Oh, my God. (laughs) Now Larry gets shamed for being the guy being the town shamer. That's next time up. Larry's going through. But Scott, I think uh, I think that's probably a good note to to wrap this one up on. We'll let um, some city councilmen. We'll, we'll get in touch. We'll see what we can do. Try and get the ball moving on on the public shaming. Absolutely. So uh, we'll ask Tim first. You know, where can the people find you? I am at Tim underscore Costello 10 on Twitter. And then obviously, as Scott mentioned, there's a new uh, fan page on Facebook. I'll definitely be uh, keeping a close eye on that one. Uh, I'm also uh, I'm also going to be doing that. I'm on the Twitter machine at S Barzilla. Um, 
And please, you know, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, find us, you know, uh, contest us through the show's homepage, you know, wherever you get to us, give us some ideas. Who do you, who are y'all scumbags? What stories do you want to see us, you know, to take a look at or what issues do you want to see us take a look at and tell us, you know, what do you think? You know, you know even if you want to be you know, mean and shame us. You know, I want us to be the first ones. Our, and, it might be our turn, Scott. It might be, you know, uh, it might be our turn. You know, put, you know, put Scott in the stocks for a couple of hours and throw some tomatoes at him. Hey, I, I'm, I'm game. I'll do it. Uh, but just, you know, you got to tell us why. So, you know, kind of come in, uh, give us, you know, a piece of your mind. And be sure to tune in tomorrow for the uh, sports edition. Scott and I are. Uh, welcoming our first guests onto the show. Really excited about that. Uh, Danny Vaughn, former voice of the Kansas City T-Bones, then changed the name to the Monarchs. He also worked uh, for the Australian Baseball League uh, in the American offseason. He would go over to Australia and call games there. He's going to hop on the show and talk a little bit with us about Team Australia from the World Baseball Classic. And then actually my formal general manager uh, from the Texas Air Hogs, Nate Gutierrez, uh, he and I worked together uh, in a really special project of welcoming Team China to America uh, to play on our team to train for this World Baseball Classic. So we'll talk with Nate. It's going to be a really fun episode as we kind of do, Scott, a little bit of a WBC deep dive. That sounds like a blast. Well, as always, we've enjoyed having everybody here with us. Be, sh- be sure pardon me, to tune in tomorrow. Uh, as we welcome Danny and Nate onto the program. We appreciate everybody who's tuned in today and made us a part of your day as you've been listening to The Snap Hook. Thank you for tuning in to The Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and his outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snap Hook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snap Hook.